Hi there, Paula Eamon here with a heart full of love for you and a heart's desire to encourage you to endure this short life with joy and hope by the grace of God for the glory of God. Our time together will start in Hebrews. It's hard to get away from it since it's the foundation for this podcast. My husband recently preached a message that centered around the warnings in Hebrews, so naturally they were brought to my attention. I only want to bring one to your attention today. It's the warning in Hebrews 2.1. It says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What was the warning? That we all have the potential to drift away spiritually when we don't pay close attention to the Word of God, to Christ, and to the Gospel. Sweet friend, let's not let that be said of us. Let's cling to the anchor of our soul. I want to remind you about the awesome web development and design company, Ministry Ally. Throughout my ministry experience, I've observed people who serve in churches and Christian nonprofits overwhelmed by the work it takes to keep up with technology. Websites, social media, emails, and text messaging, they all can provide incredible opportunities for personal connection, but their creation and upkeep can also cause monumental distractions from the mission. Enter Ministry Ally. They provide support for churches and Christian nonprofits through web design and hosting, digital communication, and remote ministry assistance. If you, your pastor, or a ministry partner need help with a website or any other digital communication, schedule an appointment at ministryally.com to learn more. That's ministryally.com. Now to episode 12, Standing on the Promises. There was a couple who had to move all over the Middle East all the while battling infertility. Before they moved, the husband lost his youngest brother. This couple also experienced confrontations with powerful leaders, a dangerous situation with their nephew being kidnapped, and a cataclysmic devastation to the city that same nephew lived in. These aren't the end of the huge trials this couple faced. Just wanted to share a few with you to give you a peek into their lives before I tell you their story. There are a few words that come to mind knowing all this about this couple. Unsettled, hopeless, grieved, fearful, and devastated. At least, that's how I would be tempted to feel going through those difficulties. Are those the words that they would use to characterize themselves at the end of all these trials? I don't believe so. I have a hunch that at the end of their lives, they would describe themselves using these words, guided, satisfied, and comforted. But how would they characterize themselves in the midst of those times? Maybe sometimes manipulating and doubting. Well, I've kept you in suspense long enough. Who in the world am I talking about? They are another pair of ancient believers discussed in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith that we refer to often in our study of the cloud of witnesses. You may have already guessed who they are, but before I tell you, and before we find the answer in Hebrews, I'd like to take you to the passage in Genesis that introduces this couple, so feel free to grab your Bible. We are first introduced to the husband in Genesis 11. His name was, you guessed it, Abram, which means exalted father. He was a descendant of Shem, who was one of the sons of Noah. I talked about Noah in the last part of episode 8. If you haven't listened to that one, maybe check it out after this one. 
An interesting fact I learned while preparing for this episode was that Noah was alive for the first 58 years of Abram's life. He was Abram's great, 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 great grandfather. That should have been seven greats. <laughs> Abram's father's name was Terah. He was 130 when Abram was born, around 2165 BC. Abram had two brothers, Nahor and Haran. Haran was the father of a son you may be familiar with. His name was Lot. They all lived in a place called Ur, which is located in modern-day southern Iraq. At the time, it was very prosperous and populated. Its patron god was Nana, the moon god, and the city's name literally means the abode of Nana. Some accounts say that at one point or another through Mesopotamia's long history, Nana was the king of gods, lord of wisdom, keeper of time, guardian of the future, and the holder of secrets. He was thought to be the one who protected, guided, and illuminated humanity. Ur was also the land of the Chaldeans. They were astronomers and astrologers. I just can't help but wonder what kind of impact all this had on Abram. While Terah and his family lived in their native land Ur, Haran, Abram's youngest brother, died. It's so easy to view these ancient believers through a different lens, but they are just like you and me. I bet that was a devastating loss to Abram. Eventually, Abram and his younger brother Nahor got married, Abraham to Sarai, most commonly explained as Abram's half-sister, and Nahor to his niece Milcah, Haran's daughter. Milcah was Lot's sister. For the sake of the flow of this episode, I'm going to pronounce Sarai as Sarah, but her name is significant, as we will see later. There are two things that we learn early on about Sarah, other than her name meaning my princess. She was beautiful, and she was barren. Being barren is a heartache now. There is a hundred percent no doubt about that. My husband and I struggled to get pregnant at first. I remember how devastating that phase of our marriage was. So many questions, doubts, and fears. But during the ancient times, it was infinitely harder. Often these ancient women suffered deep shame as a consequence of their barrenness. On top of that, their barrenness was attributed to some hidden wrong, sin, or flaw. A barren woman was said to have failed to fulfill the primary expectation of her social role since, and I quote, it is children who assure a wife's position in her home. It could even be considered fair grounds for divorce if a woman was childless for 10 years or more. Of course, this was the culture's opinion, not God's. Wow, I can't imagine the heartache and pressure that Sarah dealt with on a regular basis. There came a time when Abram's dad, Terah, took him, Sarah, and his nephew Lot, who seemed almost like a son to Abram, to Haran, which was a trading town northwest of them in what is now modern-day Turkey. They had to travel along the Euphrates River to get there. Their final destination? Canaan. Terah died while they lived in Haran. Another devastating loss. Now, I want to mention again the Mesopotamian god, little g, Nana. P.S. Please forgive me if that's your grandma name. Remember, Nana was said to be the god who protected, guided, and gave wisdom to humanity. As I tell you Abram's and Sarah's story, I want you to remember that Nana was part of the backdrop of the pagan culture they came out of. You won't be able to do anything but marvel at what God does in their lives, almost as a direct example of how he was infinitely better than Nana. 
The first example of this we see is how God guided them to Canaan. Genesis 15:7 and Acts 7:2 indicate that God told them to go there while they still lived in Ur. He told them again while they lived in Haran. It wasn't until after Terah died that their journey began. Genesis 12 says it this way, He departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He obeyed. His nephew Lot went with him, and of course Sarah. Abram was 75 at the time, which gives evidence to the fact that they had been in Haran for quite a while. God then made a covenant or a promise with Abram. It is often referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. God said this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow, this was a significant promise. And we'll see today that it is repeated again and again all throughout Scripture. I just can't help but think again about Abram who grew up in a pagan country. I wonder what he thought. The group arrived in Canaan around 2090 BC. When they got there, God made another promise to Abram. It was that he would give Abram the land. This was a future promise that would be fulfilled in the offspring of Abram. What did Abram do in response to this promise from God? He built an altar to the Lord. One writer says that by this act, Abram made an open confession of his religion, established worship of the true God, and declared his faith in God's promise. This was the first true place of worship ever erected in the promised land. Are you starting to see some patterns emerge in Abram's life? I see God's guidance and promise coupled with Abram's obedience and worship. What a glorious combo that's not just reserved for ancient believers. Verse 12 of chapter 7 says that the Lord appeared to Abram. Abram then moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and built another altar to the Lord. He then called on the name of the Lord. God's presence was a great reason to worship, was it not? Abram then journeyed south to the Negev, which is a desert region in now southern Israel. It's possible that he did this because it was a good area for herdsmen. He possibly also engaged in merchant activity. A severe famine arose in the land, so Abram and his family went down to Egypt to live there. Hebrews 11.15 indicates that Ur, their homeland, would have been a good place to also escape the famine, but they remained faithful to God's command. Now, here's where the story takes an unfortunate turn. Isn't that how we believers are? By God's grace, we make great strides for the glory of the Lord, but then our humanity kicks in. We are so prone to wonder, are we not? Remember me telling you about Sarah's beauty? At age 65, she was still considered gorgeous. Because she was so beautiful, Abram was afraid that the Egyptians would kill him to get her. So he hatched a plan. He told her to tell them the half-truth that she was his sister. He thought it would spare his life. Well, his fears came true. They did notice her beauty. In fact, Pharaoh's princes told Pharaoh about her. She was then taken to his house to become part of his harem. Pharaoh then treated Abram well on her behalf. He gave him sheep, oxen, donkeys, servants, and camels. Did Nana protect Sarah? No, but God did. He sent great plagues upon Pharaoh in his house. Despite Abram's concern only for himself, the Lord greatly intervened to protect Sarah. 
This is the first example of God keeping his covenant with Abram. He cursed those who cursed Abram and his family. Sadly, Abram's misstep did not point Pharaoh to the one true God. Pharaoh asked Abram what he had done to him. He wanted to know why Abram had lied to him. He then told Abram to take Sarah back and to go away. Then he sent him away with Sarah and all his possessions. Pattern, fear and manipulation yielding harsh results in a poor testimony. A very rich Abram and his crowd went back up to the Negev, right to the place where Abram first built an altar. He called again on the name of the Lord. I dare say this included him seeking forgiveness from the Lord. In the meantime, Abram's nephew Lot had also become wealthy. He had a lot of flocks, herds, and tents. Because he and Uncle Abram both had so many flocks and herds, the land could not support them. Their herdsmen fought against each other because they all wanted the land. Abram spoke up, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. He then made a suggestion. Lot could separate from him. He gave Lot the choice of either taking the land on the right or on the left. Lot saw the plain of Jordan was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. It was lush and fertile. So Lot journeyed east and claimed that area and pitched his tent, even as far as Sodom, which was known for being exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Abram went west in the land of Canaan. God again made a promise to Abram. He promised the land to him for time without end. He also promised that Abram's descendants would be innumerable. What do you think Abram did in response to this promise? Yep, he built an altar to the Lord again. Pattern, promise, and worship. Well, a conflict broke out with different factions trying to lay claim to the region Lot moved to. Lot got caught up in everything and ended up being taken captive. One of the survivors fled to find Abram to inform him of Lot's captivity. Because of Abram's status, it was assumed that he could do something about it. It just so happened that Abram had a private militia. They were members of his extended family. There were 318 of them, and they were highly skilled bodyguards and the protective force for Abram's possessions. Joining forces with the trained men of Abram's allies, this private militia set off in pursuit of the military kidnappers. They were trying to make sure that Lot wasn't taken away. Abram pursued the enemy for over 150 miles and totally defeated them. It's been said that the liberated king of Sodom went to meet Abram near Jerusalem. It's also noted that a priest named Melchizedek brought Abram bread and wine and blessed him. He also acknowledged that it was God Most High who had given Abram the victory. The king of Sodom then told Abram to give him the people, but to take the goods for himself. Abram knew that if he did, it would look like it was the king who gave him the victory and not the Lord. Abram told the king that he had promised the Lord God Most High that he would not take anything from the king except for the food that his men had eaten. Pattern, Rescue, and Obedience By now, the Lord probably didn't need to keep declaring who he was to Abram, right? No more need to counter Nana's claims of being Abram's divine protector. Well, I'm not so sure, because he came to Abram in a vision. He said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God himself was declaring to be Abram's divine protector. Abram responded by sharing with the Lord something that had been weighing on him. He was childless. At this point, he was at least 75 years old. 
Abram suggested that maybe his servant Eliezer should be his heir. The Lord told him that Eliezer would not be his heir, but that Abram's own child would be. The Lord then brought him outside and told him to look toward heaven to count the stars if he could. He then told him that the stars were a reflection of how many descendants he would have. Remember that Abram's name meant exalted father? At this point, he had no children. The Bible says that Abram believed in the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. Romans 4, Galatians 3, James 2 all make reference to this. Pattern, Promise, and Faith God then reminded Abram who he is. The Lord who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and the Lord who promised to give him Canaan. Abram then asked the Lord to confirm this promise in some way. Very mercifully, God did not condemn him. He confirmed him with an ancient covenant that can be found in Genesis 15. At sunset, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Darkness and great horror also fell upon him. Then the Lord prophesied to him that his future descendants would be held captive in Egypt for 430 years, but that they would also be released. He then promised Abram that he would live until a good old age. God also gave him a sign of his presence and again promised him the land. Despite all of these wonderful confirmations, Sarah was still barren. Because of this, their story takes another incredibly unfortunate turn. Sarah had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. It said that she was possibly one of the gifts from the Pharaoh of Egypt. Sarah told Abram that he should have children by Hagar because she believed it was the Lord who was restraining her from having children. She hoped that using Hagar as a surrogate would help her own status. The child would still be considered the child of Abram and Sarah, but this in no case was ordained by God. It was infidelity. What was the timing of this plan? Well, it happened to land on their 10th childless year in Canaan. I believe Abram would have been 85. Sarah would have been 75. It had been longer than 10 years since God had made the first promise to Abram that his descendants would be a great nation. Did Abram claim God's promises or yield to their nagging doubts? Abram carried out Sarah's plan. He immorally got Hagar pregnant. Because of this, Hagar despised Sarah. It's said that she may have possibly now looked down on Sarah because clearly the barrenness was because of Sarah and not Abram. Her pregnancy could have elevated her status above Sarah. It's also very possible that Hagar hated Sarah because of what she forced Hagar to participate in. Sadly, Sarah didn't try in any way to make things right with Hagar. Instead, she turned against Abram, saying, My wrong be upon you. The Lord judge between you and me. Abram then told Sarah that she could do whatever she wanted to Hagar. Sarah was so harsh to Hagar that she fled, and with her went Abram's unborn son. The angel of the Lord, who may have been the pre-incarnate Christ, appeared to Hagar while she was probably on her way back home to Egypt. He appeared eight more times in the Old Testament period, but she was the very first one he appeared to. 
Oh, the tenderness for him to first appear to a scorned mother-to-be, so much like Christ. He identified her by name and by role. Then he asked her where she had come from and where she was going. She told him that she was fleeing from Sarah. He told her to return and submit, but he didn't do so without making her this promise. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. This sounds similar to Abram's promise, doesn't it? He also told her that she was going to have a son whom she was to name Ishmael, which meant God hears. Again, how tender that he wanted to be sure she knew that he had heard her affliction. He then told her that Ishmael would be a wild man and that every man's hand would be against him. Hagar gave a name to the angel of the Lord. You are the God who sees. She then marveled at the fact that he had revealed himself to her. The well where she was was then called Ber Laharoi, which meant the well of him that liveth and seeth me. Hagar had Ishmael when Abram was 86 years old. Pattern, fear and manipulation yielding harsh results and a poor testimony. Thirteen years later, the Lord appeared to Abram again. He said, I am Almighty God, El Shaddai. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, and I will make my covenant with you again and multiply you exceedingly. Abram's response, complete and utter humility. He fell on his face. I can only imagine the possible guilt, shame, questioning, loneliness, and loss of direction he had been experiencing because of his cooperation with Sarah to manipulate circumstances for the purpose of having a child. Pattern, promise, and humility. Almighty God then promised again that Abram would become a father of many nations. He also changed his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of many nations. God then put more flesh on the bones of his promise. He declared, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you and their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. He then told Abraham that he required something from him and his descendants as a sign of this covenant. Every male child was required to be circumcised on the eighth day after being born. Abraham was then told to give Sarai, my princess, a new name, Sarah, which meant princess, because she would become the mother of nations from whom kings of people would come. Abraham fell on his face laughing while thinking he could have a child at a hundred years old when his wife was ninety, and because of how impossible he thought it would be for them to have a child in their old age, he communicated a wish that Ishmael would live before God. Despite this response, God patiently told Abraham that Sarah would have a son and that they should name him Isaac, which meant he laughs. This name could be the result of Abraham laughing as a means of rejoicing or because of a lack of faith in the God of the impossible. God then told Abraham that his promise would extend to Isaac and Ishmael and that 12 princes would come from Ishmael. He said that Sarah would have Isaac about the same time next year. In an act of obedience, Abraham was circumcised along with all of the appropriate people. He was 99. Ishmael was 13. Pattern, promise, and obedience. 
Now, one of the places where Abraham had built an altar to worship God was by the terebinth trees of Mamre. The Lord himself appeared to Abraham at that very place. When Abraham looked up and saw him and two people standing by him, he ran to the tent door to meet them. Then he bowed down. He requested the Lord not to pass by him if he had found favor in his sight. He then said that he would like water to be brought to his guests so that they could drink and wash their feet. He also wanted to provide food for them. Then he would let them go on their way. They agreed. Abraham then rushed into the tent and asked Sarah to make them some cakes, probably bread. He ran to the herd and asked a young man to prepare a young calf. This indicated that Abraham knew these visitors were of superior rank. When it was ready, he served the guest butter, milk, and the calf. They asked him where was Sarah. He told them that she was there in the tent. The Lord then told Abraham that Sarah would have a son. Sarah overheard this news. Because Sarah's body was past the ability to have children, probably due to menopause, she laughed within herself. The Lord told Abraham that he had heard her laugh. This was despite the fact that they were not in the same room, and despite the fact that she had not laughed audibly. He then asked Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? He told him that at the appointed time he would return to Abraham, and Sarah would have a son. Sarah then denied that she had laughed because she was afraid, and he said, No, but you did laugh. The men then stood to leave and looked toward Sodom, which was where Lot lived. Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Then the Lord questioned whether or not he should inform Abraham of his plans for Sodom, since Abraham was going to become a great nation that would one day bless the entire world. He decided that he would tell him about it, so that it would be an object lesson to him to spur him and his descendants to obey the Lord and to be righteous and just. The Lord made it clear that there had been a great outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin was very grave. It had reached the point of no return. He then made it clear that he was going to go down to see things for himself. The men headed toward Sodom while Abraham stood before the Lord, asking him if he was going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked. He then began bargaining with the Lord. If there are fifty righteous within the city, will you still destroy it? He then appealed to the justice of God. Surely you won't do that. You are the judge of all the earth. You will do what's right. The Lord said to Abraham, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the place for their sakes. Abraham then humbly asked the Lord to spare the city for the sake of forty-five righteous people. The Lord agreed. Then forty righteous people then thirty righteous people, then twenty, then ten. This number could have simply reflected Lot and his family. The Lord agreed every time. Then the Lord went his way, and Abraham went home. Genesis chapter 19 is a devastating account of what happened in Sodom and its neighboring city, Gomorrah. Because there were not even ten righteous people in the cities, they were not spared. In fact, they were completely and utterly destroyed. Lot made it out in the end with only two daughters. Abraham went back to the place where he had talked to the Lord. He then looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. He didn't know it yet, but because of his pleading with the Lord, Lot and his daughters were alive.
Next, Abraham journeyed south to a place between Kadesh and Shur. He stayed in Gerar, which was a Philistine city on the border between Palestine and Egypt, about 10 miles south of Gaza. After meeting the king, King Abimelech, Abraham told him that Sarah was his sister. This was what one author noted 25 years after leaving Egypt in disgrace after lying about his wife. Abimelech sent for Sarah and took her. Apparently this time Sarah participated in the lie. God came to Abimelech in a dream at night and said to him that he was a dead man because he had taken a married woman. Fortunately, Abimelech had not come near her. He said to God, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? In the innocence of my hands I have done this. God answered him in his dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. He then said that he was the one who restrained Abimelech. He also told him to give Sarah back to Abraham because he was a prophet and that Abraham would pray for him and that he would live. He warned him that if he did not obey, he and all who were his would die. Early the very next morning, Abimelech called all his servants and told them everything. They became afraid. He then called Abraham and asked him what they had done against Abraham that had brought on all of them such a great sin. What did you have in view that you have done this thing? Such a shame that this heathen king had to confront this prophet. Abraham explained that he did this because he didn't think the people feared God and because he thought they would kill him to get Sarah. He then explained the actual relationship he had with her. She was his half-sister, same dad, different moms. He explained that this was their planned explanation from the beginning for when they got in these types of situations. Well, Graciously, Abimelech gave them sheep, oxen, male and female servants, their choice of land, and a thousand pieces of silver. Abraham prayed for God to heal Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants because the Lord had closed up all of their wombs as a judgment. Then they were able to have children. This is the second example of God cursing those who curse Abraham. Pattern Fear and manipulation, yielding harsh results and a poor testimony. Are you connecting with Abraham and Sarah? I know I have no place to judge them. I've experienced so many highs and so many lows in my Christian life. None of us are apart from great moments of fear and manipulation, followed by devastating results and a poor testimony. How do we avoid it? We do what Hebrews 2.1 commands us to do. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. As the life of Abraham and Sarah came to a peak, the Lord visited Sarah and made it possible for her to conceive. She had a son exactly when the Lord said that she would. Abraham named him Isaac and then circumcised him when he was eight days old. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah marveled. God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. As was common in those days, Isaac was weaned around age two or three. Abraham prepared a feast for him. During the preparation, Sarah saw Ishmael laughing at Isaac, so she told Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. This greatly stressed out Abraham because he loved Ishmael. 
God calmed him down and told him that it would be okay to do this because of his promise to Hagar that Ishmael would become a great nation because he was Abraham's son. So early the next morning, Abraham took some bread and a skin of water and put it on Hagar's shoulder. He gave her Ishmael and sent her away. The mom and son left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This was a wide, extensive desert on the southern border of Palestine. They drank all the water they had. Their situation must have been horrible because Hagar placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at the distance of a bow shot because she didn't want to watch him die. She lifted up her voice and wept. God heard Ishmael's voice. Then the Lord called out to Hagar by name and said, Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. God then opened her eyes so that she could see a well of water. Hagar refilled her water and gave Ishmael a drink. God was with Ishmael. He grew and dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, which is now the area called Arabia. He became an archer. His mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Abraham then had another encounter with King Abimelech. This time the encounter was positive. King Abimelech asked him to make a deal with him regarding a well of water in the region. Abraham swore an oath with him. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called upon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Pattern, Restoration, and Worship now to the peak of our story. Surely it has to do with Abraham and Sarah having more and more children, right? Because God had promised to make him a great nation. Well, let's listen and find out. Isaac was now somewhere between 13 and 20 years old. God told Abraham to take him whom he loved to the land of Moriah. He was to offer Isaac as a burnt offering on the mountain that God told him to. What was Abraham's response? He got up early, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men, Isaac his son, and wood for the burnt offering. He then went to the place the Lord told him to. On the third travel day, he saw the place far off in the distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go over there and worship, and we will come back to you. This showed incredible trust in God and his promises. Abraham then took the burnt offering wood and laid it on Isaac, meaning Isaac carried the wood. Doesn't this remind you of the first part of John 3:16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Also, Isaac carrying the wood reminds me of Jesus when he carried his cross to the crucifixion hill. Abraham carried the fire and a knife. They went on together. Isaac said, My father? Abraham said, Here am I, my son. Isaac then pointed out that his father had everything but the lamb for the sacrifice. Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. The two of them continued on together. Then they came to the place God had told him. Abraham built an altar there. Then he placed the wood in order. 
he bound up Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Then he lifted the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, Here I am. The angel of the Lord said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham went on to call the place Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham again, By myself I have sworn, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Then Abraham and Isaac went back to where his young men were waiting. Then they all went back to Beersheba. They stayed there. Pattern Promise-Fueled Obedience and God's Blessing There is more of Abraham's life to learn about, but I really want to stop here. You can read Genesis 22-25 through 25 for the rest of his story. Now back to Hebrews 11. What are the four things that Abraham and Sarah are commended for? For leaving their homeland to follow God's command, for living in the land of promise, for having faith to conceive a child in their old age, and for offering up their son Isaac, who was the son of promise, in faith that God could raise him from the dead in order to keep the promise that he had made to Abraham and Sarah. Which of those four things sounds hardest to you? I'll speak for myself. I've had to move many times in obedience to what God has called my family to do. I've had to have faith to live in the places God has called us to. I can't speak to the reproductive issues that Sarah was facing because I'm not old enough yet. Hands down, without a doubt, every fiber of my being screams, how in the world was Abraham able to do what he did in regards to his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac? I have to know that after witnessing what God did in his life, he knew that God could do anything, even raise his son from the dead. After remembering what God had said over and over again, he was grounded in faith that God would keep his promises. And after experiencing what he did as a result of his own manipulation, he yielded to the reality that a lack of obedience and faith was the worst thing of all. Believer, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This ancient believer was no different than you and me. But praise the Lord, we serve a God who is infinitely different than us. His promises are sure, and His guidance is impeccable. Trust Him. Obey Him. Worship Him. I'm going to close by reading the lyrics to the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. As you listen, I want you to envision Abraham on top of Mount Moriah, where he called the Lord Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. I can only imagine him with raised hands and teary eyes. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him.
how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that he is with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. this blessed you today. If you'd like to study more about Abraham, there are many more passages that make reference to him. Really, he can be found all the way through scripture. Not because he was great, but because he obeyed a great God. My favorite verse is James 2.23. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God.